Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Church family, happy Father's Day to all my dads out there. Um, I thought it would be fun to start off. Uh, I'm going to do things a little bit differently because I just make this up as we go along. Um, how about, let's, I want to give away one of my favorite books is a book called Fathered by God. I cannot recommend this resource enough. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to give this away this way. I, this is, I think my 15th, how do you count Father's Day? Like my son's 15. So this would be my 15th Father's Day, 16 if you count like while he was cooking in the oven. So let's do it. I'm going to give this away this way. Who's been a dad the longest in the room? We're, we're going to go most mature. So who, if, if 15 years, 20, like let's just raise our hands. I won't make you stand up because we've been dads a long time. We're tired. 15 years. If you've been a dad 15 years, we're just going to work our way up until we've got one lone sitting soldier. 20 years. My hand goes down. 25. 30. 35. Do I go 40? Do we 40? 40, 40, we still got two hands. We're still competing here. Four, oh, did you drop it? Okay. All right. Four, 40. Oh, you're still up. You're just that tired. I got it. I understand. I understand. Four, 45? 45? 45. Four, how many years? 60. Oh, it wasn't even close. There we go. Huh? Give, give it. Oh, give it to Sean? Okay. Sean, you need more work. There you go. All right. Um, <clears throat> well, again, if, if you're newer with us, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Haggai. Uh, we've been studying, we're in a month-long series studying through this short but incredibly rich and powerful Old Testament book. And as you're making your way there, um, I just want to make sure, you know, it's, it's awesome to celebrate, like, sending, uh, sending and partnering with the replants in Greeley. Like, that's, that's awesome. But uh, we really want to strive, as, as Sean said, like, this is a family. And so um, we have a family in our church. Many of you know uh, Scott and Mickey Newfer. So they're, they're covenant members here. They're dear friends and family. So um, this is them, and they're, they're, their kiddos are, are here as well. And, um, but Scott and Mickey uh, got COVID a little while ago, and most of the family is recovering pretty well, but it's really taken a toll on Scott. And he's actually been in the ICU the last couple of days and in the hospital for even a little bit longer than that, just really struggling to breathe. And so um, one of the ways that we can really... Uh, forge forward together and band together is just through prayer. And so I just wanted to, to kind of move into a time of prayer where we just, we just pray for Scott. We have a, a King of Kings and Lord of Lords who is, is bigger than any virus. And so um, I just wanted to invite you guys to pray with me for the new furs as, um, as they're just going through, through a hard season and just struggling with health right now. So would you pray with me? God, we, we praise you because you are worthy of all praise. God, we thank you that you are on your throne, whether the seasons are easy and flourishing or whether they're uh, desperate and dark. God, you are on your throne and you never leave us. You never forsake us. And so God, this morning, I thank you for the faith that has been put on display in the hospital through the Newfers, God, and through their family and through their kids. And, um, and God, just how you are being light 
in the darkness through Mickey and Jordan and Neoma and, uh, and God, just how you're putting yourself on display in and through them, God, and how they're, they're, they're coming together and they're believing the best and they're displaying faith in such a powerful way to the nurses and the doctors and the other patients and, and just the people that would come in and out. God, I thank you that you are being glorified. But Father, I do pray for my brother God, with as much faith as I can muster, Lord, where I have doubts, Lord, help my unbelief. But Father, I beg you to heal Scott fully and completely. God, now in this moment, I pray that you would open his airways, that you would allow him comfort and the ability to take deep breaths, Father, to communicate with his wife and and Lord, to give you praise through his voice. God, I pray that you would heal without an asterisk. God, that you would just be God and put yourself on display in a way that befuddles doctors so that only you can get the credit. Jesus, would you heal our brother? God, would you strengthen his family to continue to stand strong and draw near to you? And then, Father, would we be a people who pray often and care about and enter in with each other? God, I pray for wisdom on how to love and support this family well. And so, Father, we just declare that you are good and worthy of our worship. It is in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church family. Um, So yesterday, we've been walking through this series on uh, Haggai, which has really been about seeking first the kingdom of God. And uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen that throughout the book of Haggai, which is really four short recorded sermons to God's people as they've come out of captivity. They've entered back into Jerusalem. Things are returning back to normal. Their economy is opening up. And in the the first chapter, this first sermon where God sends the prophet Haggai to preach to his people, some 50,000 people that have returned back to Jerusalem. And as they've entered back into the town, they've misplaced their priorities. They're rebuilding their homes and neglecting God's temple, which keeps them stuck in their sin. And so the prophet Haggai shows up, he preaches this message, the people's hearts are moved to get to work. And then last week we saw that as their priorities got back on track, a few weeks into this building campaign, they need a reminder and an encouragement in their perspective, that they're seeing the works of their hands, they're seeing what they're able to rebuild. And some of them can remember the beauty of Solomon's temple, and they're feeling discouraged that what they can do is not as good as what stood there before. And so God sends the prophet Haggai to preach his second message to some 50,000 people saying, man, don't shortchange what I can do. My glory is going to fill this temple. And we ultimately see that this is the temple that Jesus is going to come and walk through on his way to the cross, that he's going to worship there. He's going to teach there. He's going to equip people there. And that there's just this so much beauty that is going to take place in this temple. And God wants to not only give them kingdom priorities, but also kingdom perspective. And this morning, we're going to pick up on our third sermon from the prophet Haggai as a few months after they've had their perspective and their priorities shifted and challenged. We're going to see that God is going to enter in. And again, through the prophet Haggai, he's going to encourage them with some kingdom 
principles. And as I've thought this week about what is a principle, again, I'm striving to simplify things. I like, I'm a simple-minded guy. I like simple-minded definitions. That a principle is just really us acknowledging and grasping the way that it is. It's a roadmap forward. And in God's kingdom, there are principles that he wants us to strive after and run after. It's to help us stay on the right path. And yesterday, I had such a great experience of how important it is for us to stay on the right path. And so I've shared before uh, that next Saturday, I'm doing my very first triathlon. And truthfully, with as hard as it's been to train, it's probably my very last. Um, And hopefully, I'll survive. But so please be praying. Myself and Ross Hallsworth, if you guys know Katie, the Bible lady, Katie's husband, Ross, he and I are going to do this triathlon thing together. So if you see both of us next week, there's reason to celebrate. We survived. We made it through. We're alive. It's going to be great. But we've been training for a few months uh, separately. And we decided yesterday we're one week out. What we really should do is we should get together and we should go out and we should do all three. So technically I've done a triathlon because we did, we did one yesterday. So we hopped on our bikes, we rode out to Boyd Lake to the swim beach and we got in the water. And uh, you guys need to know this about me. Like I've been going for the last couple of years to the rec center and I've been swimming laps at the Chilson pretty faithfully. And I can hop in the pool and I feel confident enough because the water is clear, the water is warm, um, the water's pretty clean. Um, and there's this beautiful lap lane that just you get in and I can just go back and forth for like an hour. And it's awesome. It's like sensory deprivation. There's no kids talking to me. It's amazing. I love it. And so I'm like, I feel pretty good about the swim. Like it's not nearly as long as hopping in the Chilson pool and swimming for an hour. So I'm going to be pretty good. We got out to Boyd Lake and we waited out. The water was pretty warm because it's been really, really hot. Um, and we waited out to where we couldn't touch anymore. And we picked a buoy on the other side of the swim beach. And we said, we're going to swim to there. And then when we get to the other side, we'll kind of evaluate how we did and see how far it was and, and how long we need to swim. And I put my face in the water. And Boyd Lake doesn't come equipped with a lap lane line And it's murky, and it's like shades of green and brown and gray and just darkness. And it wasn't really choppy because we were out there at like 6.30 in the morning, but it was, I don't know how to explain it to you. I put my face in the water, and because I couldn't see, and because the waves, it wasn't as still as it is at the rec center, I forgot how to breathe. I could not exhale. It's like my brain panicked and went, hold on to all of your oxygen. Who knows when you're going to get this again? Don't breathe out. And I like came up, like I'm like waist deep in the water, but I'm flailing like I'm about to drown and die because I forgot how to breathe. And so the first lap down was incredibly hard because I couldn't figure out and remember how to breathe. But once I like mind over man, mind over mannered, like discipline, like I'm going to make myself breathe. Even if this is the last breath I take, I'm going to do this. And I breathed out and I finally figured out a rhythm for breathing. And we got to the end and I turned around and I was like, okay, we're going to go down and back. I think I figured this out, but, but here's the problem. I didn't realize how valuable that lap line is at the Chilson. And so we start going down and back, and I realize about 30 seconds into my swim, because I put my face in the water and there's no line to guide me, I am swimming like this all over the place. I feel like I'm going straight. 
I feel like I'm on the right trajectory, but man, I am all over the place. So I'm bumping into Ross and then I'm chasing out some geese. And then all of a sudden I'm all the way back up on the beach. And I'm like, this is like, I just was aiming like here. How am I going all over the place? Because I didn't have something guiding my path. This morning, Haggai's third sermon is him delivering to God's people three principles to help guide them on their path to not just be concerned about their work, but really be concerned with their worship. And so my hope and prayer this morning is that you and I would heed God's message through the prophet Haggai and maybe lift our heads out of the murky waters of our world and see clearly God's path and God's principles. And so with that, what we're going to do is we're actually going to read through, and I'm doing a little bit better on time than I was in first service, but we're going to read through all of this third message. So we're going to read verses 10 through 19, and then I want us to really see three principles from this third sermon from the prophet Haggai. So he says, on the 24th day, picking up in chapter 2, verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. So with every work of their hands, what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight, with mildew, and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. So we go back and we see that this sermon starts in a very similar fashion to the first two, and it's been a consistent pattern throughout Haggai's sermons that he wants to give us some background kingdom information that helps us understand how we hear this sermon. And the background information that we get is it's the 24th day of the ninth month. This is mid-December in our calendar. And in, in this time, what would have happened is the Israelites, the Jewish people, would have gone out, this is past the rainy season, where, where God's people would have, the ground would have been softened, and they would have been able to go out and till the land and prepare the fields and plant some of the crops, scatter some of the seed, and get ready for the next season of harvest. They've done the hard work of preparing the grounds and getting things ready. But what we need to know is that this is years of toil, where we saw in the first sermon, God let, him, let the people know that they've been working so hard 
They've been laboring and focusing on their kingdom. And as they're focused on their kingdom and they're not seeking first God's kingdom, that what has happened is that there's not enough food, there's not enough water, there's not enough clothing, there's not enough money in the bank, that they're working and focusing on their kingdom and God loves them enough to make life difficult to get a hold of their hearts and to grab their attention. And so it's in this season, as for years now, they've been tilling the ground, they've been preparing the crops, they've been scattering the seed, where it's yet another season of we planted, and man, every year for the past 10 to 15 years, there just hasn't been enough harvest. Have you ever felt stuck and just discouraged? Like, like you're running on a hamster wheel and not really getting anywhere? That's got to be how God's people are feeling here. It's another season of planting and preparing. And if their past patterns predict future behavior, then there's just not going to be enough in the spring or in the summer when it's harvest time. That's where God's people are at. They're, they're struggling. They're, they're fighting discouragement. They're fighting doubt. And oh yeah, in the midst of having to do all this work, they've started a building campaign where they're rebuilding God's temple because the first sermon really stirred their hearts to action. And so they're, they're already spread thin and then they're now fixing their hearts. They're, they've repented. They're coming back to the Lord, but they're adding more busyness and more work as they try to rebuild God's temple. And so with that as kind of the the background information, we see that this sermon starts out with Haggai being sent from the Lord to ask the people to go to the priests to ask a couple of questions that may sound weird to you and I, but they're really no-brainer, like, duh, kind of questions. And I love that Haggai knows his role. He's a prophet. He's sent from the Lord. Just I've said it the last couple of weeks. He's the mailman. He's just delivering the mail. God says, go and tell them this. And so Haggai comes and he tells them what God tells them, what what God reveals to him. He's not an expert in the law. That's the priests. And so he encourages the people, go to the priests, the experts in the law, and ask them these two questions. The first one is essentially, if you have something, if you have this holy meat, this sacrifice, if you've got this like holy beef jerky tucked in your robe, and your robe touches something, is it possible that there's this third-party holiness that kind of like a game of telephone, like because it's in your pocket and your robe touched, you know, the phone, like now, it, now it's holy. And the priests just go, no, like that's, that's not how holiness works. Like it's not that easily transferable. There's this, this kind of pressing into how is something made clean? How is something made right? And then the next question is, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? So he talks about, man, is it possible for third party holiness? And the answer is no. And then he changes the question and thinks about it a little bit differently. He says, "Well, well, let's think about things becoming unclean. If you go up and hug a dead body and then grab my cup of coffee, did my cup of coffee become unclean? And the priests are like, yeah, that's nasty. Like, of course that's gross. And in this time, in the law, like, coming into contact with a dead body was the, like, the uber way of being unclean. Like, you had to leave. You had to go through this whole process to become clean again. And so it's not third-party unholiness or uncleanliness. This is intimate. This is personal. This is, I went up and high-fived a dead guy and then came into and touched your boiling pot of stew. You're like, that's... Like, we need special social distancing. Like, that's disgusting. 
he's pointing out how easily it is to be unclean and how hard it is to be clean. And what he's going to do next is, is really point out that the people of God have been stuck in their sin and that they need to really, this first principle is that sin is serious and the people of God needed to be reminded of this. And look at how Haggai then responds after the answers to these questions. He says, so it is with this people and with this nation before me. And so with every work of their hands, what they offer is unclean. The first kingdom principle that we see in this third sermon from Haggai, that the people of God, as they're battling discouragement, as they're, they're working on the temple of the Lord, they're coming back to him. He wants them to remember, keep working on the temple. Keep seeking after the kingdom of God because your sin is serious. You've been stuck. You've had nowhere to worship, nowhere to atone for your sin, and your sin is serious. Everything you try to do is unclean because you're intimate with sin. You're upright one-on-one with your sinful condition. You need to have a place to worship and sacrifice where the glory of God can dwell, where you can be restored into right relationship. He wants them to see how serious their sin is. But he doesn't just stop there. Sin is serious. And the kingdom principle that we see is that we should take sin seriously, but he's going to continue on and ask them to really consider the cost of their sin. In verses 15 through 17, he says, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? How was life going for you before you started rebuilding the temple? Was life really easier? Was life really better? This is, this is Haggai's way of calling out the lie that our first parents have believed that you and I fall into all the time, that God is withholding something from us, that life was better before we started following Jesus, that following Jesus requires us to give up fun, to, to not live for, for, for what we really want to do. And he's saying, was it, was it really that much better? Consider what sin really costs you He said, you'd come to a heap of 20 measures and there were 10. I'm not good at math, but that's half of what they should have had. He said, well, one came to the wine vat to draw 50. There were but 20. If I did my math right, that's like 35 to 40%. Like at best, they're batting 50%. That sin and being stuck in their sin, God is disciplining them. God is revealing to them that they are distant from him. And in doing so, it's costing them so much. They're working toilessly. They're laboring so hard and they have so little to show for it. We need to consider the cost of our sin because what we know about sin is that it's always going to overpromise and underdeliver. It's going to take more than we want to give every single time. The enemy is crafty. And he wants us to believe the whisper that God is withholding good things from us and that it's better if we just rely on ourselves and it's better if we just trust in ourselves. And the people of God here need to be reminded that, man, when you guys were living for your kingdom, it wasn't better for you. They also need to see here that that the cost of their sin is also that it brings upon God's discipline. God takes credit. We've seen God's sovereignty on display all throughout these first three sermons. And here in verse 17, he says, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me. 
that God is disciplining his kids. He's revealing their sinful condition. He's trying to get at their hearts and expose their rebellion. And so he uses natural disasters. He uses elements around them to try to get a hold of their hearts and expose their sinful condition and how much it's costing them. That God is now disciplining them. And what I want us to see, it's Father's Day. Like, let's, let, dads, can we just taste some conviction for a moment together? Like, I see the Father heart of God in and all throughout this book. That God loves his kids enough to expose the seriousness of their sin. They've come out of captivity and they've gone right back into pursuing their own hearts and their own ways. It would be so easy for God to say, you know what, I'm done. But he's a good dad. And so he enters in and he shows them their sin. He asks them to think about, man, this isn't going well for you. Why would you continue in this pattern? And so dads, like one of your roles as a father is to help your kids see their sin is to help your kids consider the cost of their wayward hearts, to help give them a lap lane line so that they're not going all over the place in the murky waters of the world. And I think this can look uh, like, I, I think we can err in a couple of ways, dads, when it comes to this, like some of us could be tempted to rule with an iron fist and from fear and bullying and anger and, and, and just this yelling and screaming and like, you will do what I say and I'm gonna, expo- I'm gonna make you feel bad. Like, don't do that. Like, that's not the heart of God we see in the book of Hagar. That's not the heart of God we see all throughout the pages of scripture. He's a good dad. He exposes and shows them the seriousness of their sin. He wants them to count the cost. Don't bully your kids, but also don't be that dad who's like, oh, we're under grace. They're just finding their own path. They'll get there. Like, be a man. Lead your family. Like, sin wants to rob, kill, and destroy our children. And so we need to stand up and fight for them. We need to enter in and follow in the footsteps of our God who cares enough to enter in and lead them well while calling out their sin. And that starts with us acknowledging like we are sinners. We have a sinful problem. We need grace. We need Christ. We need help. We need rescue. And then you lead from a position of, man, I've been saved by so much and I can help provide counsel to my kids. I can help shepherd and guide and show them the error of their ways. Like sin is serious and we need to help our kids count the cost because it's always gonna take more than we wanna give. And then lastly, we see, that repentance is rewarded. He says, from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? The answer to that question is no. They've gone out and they've scattered the seeds. They're waiting for the future harvest and they're struggling with doubt. They're struggling with discouragement. They don't, they, they've seen this not go well before. And so there's this promise of faith. He said, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, they've not yet yielded anything. They've yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. Remember, as God realigned their, pers- uh, their priorities in the first sermon, the people repent and they start coming back to God. They say, we want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Our theme verse has been Matthew 6, that We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the rest will be added unto you. The people of God are starting to do that. And so here, what he's doing is he's encouraging them with faith. Saying, man, you guys have repented. You've come back to the Lord. 
You're focusing on his kingdom. You're rebuilding the temple. The foundation has been laid. You can worship rightly. You can atone for your sins. You can offer up sacrifices. The glory of God is going to dwell in this place. And so blessing is going to come. Have hope in the future. Have faith in God's provision. The best is yet to come. And what I want us to see is that while here in this passage, he's promising that that the future harvest is going to be rich, is going to be good after seasons of discouragement, that they can have hope in the future. Like for us, what I want us to see is that, and last week even as we, we wrapped up the second sermon, we saw that there was this unshakable kingdom, that God was going to come and display his power by shaking the kingdoms of the earth and that all was going to remain was his kingdom. That as we seek his kingdom, it's important that we remember we don't live for here, we live for there. That we may never receive reward and blessing in this life in the form of a fatter bank account or a bigger house or a new car or easy living. That's not the promise here. They've repented. They're walking in obedience. And so God is going to bless them. For us today, like life may not get easier. It probably will get more complicated as you follow Jesus and walk in obedience. But our blessing awaits in his kingdom. We live in light of eternity. Our hope and our blessing and our reward. I heard it this way. We did our pastor's huddle up in Vail this week and it just kind of stuck with me. I, one, of the, one of the speakers said that, man, our blessing and our reward comes when Jesus takes off the helmet of salvation that we've worn in the battle of this life and he puts on the crown of glory. That's our reward. We live in obedience and a repentant life, saying no to our flesh, saying no to sin, considering the cost and striving to walk in obedience so that one day from our God and King, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the reward that we're living for. That's the blessing of living a repentant life. We won't hear, depart from me, I never knew you. We'll hear, come on in, let's party. And so here's how I want us to respond this morning. I'm gonna have the, the, the band come back up. And in these next few moments as they're making their way up, what I'm gonna ask you to do really is we see these principles of sin is serious and it's gonna cost us more than we want. And that there's blessing and life lived in repentance. I'm gonna ask you to examine your heart or as Haggai would say, consider your ways. Where are you not taking sin seriously? Sin is such a, such a huge problem that Jesus got up out of heaven and left heaven to come to earth to die in our place for our sins. It, it cost him his life. Your rebellion, my rebellion, cost God his son. So I'm just gonna let it be still and be quiet for a moment. And I would ask you, as the people in Haggai's day did, like they responded to God's word by repenting and seeking his kingdom and coming back to him, by putting him first. So in the stillness of these next few moments, would you just seek his kingdom and consider your sin and how much it cost and then repent? And then I'm gonna close us in prayer and we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and we're gonna worship our God and King who made a way for us. 
so that we can seek his kingdom because of his son. So in these next few moments, would you just fix your eyes on Jesus?